what's the most joyous thing or joyful thing about a journey? I don't have that question, but what's the most joyful thing? New beginnings. Thought you were going to say kids again, but you didn't. (laughs) New beginnings. What else? Return home. Return home. Return home. (laughs) Getting there. Yes. Most joyful thing about a journey. What else? Stephanie? It's exciting. It's exciting. Yes. Anybody else? Marcus? New scenery. New scenery. (laughs) That's good. You're you're on point today, all right? You've got about two lines. That's it. What? Disney World, yes. Amen. Praise God for that. Kids on this journey? Uh, I don't know. I didn't ask that. I just said, what's the most joyful thing about a journey? Uh, Not having your kids? No. (laughs) Being with my children. Yes, thank you. (laughs) Oh, this is great. Anybody else? One more, one more, one more. Snacks? Yeah, that's awesome. Jason? The break from every day. What we're going to talk about a little bit this morning, and we're going to kind of revisit it later, is really Saul, Paul, his journey towards Jesus. Because last week he got saved. He was introduced to Jesus on the road to Damascus, the same Jesus that he had persecuted. Now he comes face to face with him. And really this Jesus journey, so to speak, is it's an arduous journey. It's something that takes time. Anyone that has ever been saved understands that the journey towards Jesus, a relationship with him, a full lasting relationship with him takes time. It takes time to cultivate. Just like any journey, especially if you're driving somewhere, it takes time to get there. Sometimes it takes a lot longer than you expected because of stops along the way or detours. And the interesting thing about Saul's life that I think I even kind of forgotten until I was really kind of studying this week From the time that that Saul, Paul, was converted there on the road to Damascus to his first missionary journey, anywhere from 11 to 14 years. That's a long time. It's a long time in waiting and preparation to get to where he became what we know as the Apostle Paul and going out and on his different journeys around Asia Minor and preaching the gospel and helping start churches and helping uh, strengthen the churches. So it was a long time of God just pouring in, pouring in, pouring into him. And it's an amazing thing that we will discover in the weeks to come. But let's go ahead and read a couple of verses this morning. I want to start back in verse number 15, Acts chapter 9. We had hit on this last week, and we're going to come back to this a little bit later in the message. But the Bible says, but the Lord said unto him, now the him is not Saul. It is actually Ananias, because remember, this was the disciple that Jesus had called to, to, hey, I want you to go and meet with Saul. And remember, Ananias was like, I don't know about this, Lord. Uh, Do you know who he is? I'm not really sure if I should go. He has been a terrorist to the church, so to speak. But Jesus calls him, and he says, go thy way, for he, that he is referring to Saul or Paul, he is a chosen vessel unto me very important, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Paul was going to suffer. Nobody likes suffering, but suffering is part of life in general, and it's part of the Christian life. And Saul, Paul, he suffered a lot, and we learn a lot through suffering. And we're going to, again, just very briefly towards the end of the message deal with that today but it's just one thing i want you to to understand and kind of have in your minds today that suffering is part of the christian life and there's a reason for that on our journey towards jesus let's go ahead and pray and we'll begin the message 
Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for this day. And Lord, I pray that you be with us this morning as we continue this journey in the book of Acts. And really, as we realized last week, that we have been activated. We have been activated. If we are saved, if we are a child of God, we have been activated with the gospel to proclaim the good news of Jesus to the world that needs to hear it. And Lord, even as Michael just mentioned a few minutes ago, there are many times, countless times, where we don't live out the Christian life the way that we should. Uh, We try to live it here at church, but we don't often live it out in the world. And I pray that you help us to realize that if we are a child of you, if we have been saved, called you by name, then, then we have been activated for a purpose. And I pray that you'd help us to realize that purpose is so much more greater than any purpose that we can imagine. It's a purpose that you have given us and a calling that you have given us. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us, that you would enable us, that you would strengthen us and and help us to remember that this is what you have called us to. We love you so much in Christ's name I pray. Amen. I want you to remember we talked about being activated last week. And activate means to make active, to cause, to function, or act. And what we learned last week is that the gospel activates us with grace. And we, we uh, gave the illustration of the match. Remember, I had a box of matches up here, and the, the match itself is useless until what? It has been activated. Once it's been activated, fire comes about, and that's very important. Really, without Christ, we are useless. But the moment we get saved, we have become combustible, which means... <laughs> easily able to be lit on fire, able to catch fire. And God wants us to be combustible through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we are learning about Saul, or uh, many of us know him as Paul. So if I interchange those names, it's okay. Stay with me. But again, back in verse number 15 and 16, it talks about him being a chosen vessel. It talks about him suffering greatly for Jesus for his sake. And in fact, when you study the life of Paul, there is a pattern that follows. Paul preached Christ boldly. He became the object of a murderous plot, and then he escaped. This happens uh, constantly in his ministry. And Saul's life was changed forever. He was about to become a world changer, and suffering would be part of all of that. Now, look at verse number 20, if you will. We're going to kind of jump around for just a minute. But in verse number 20 of chapter 9, it says, And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. Now, really, this is something that happened really almost immediately upon his conversion. He didn't know everything, but he realized that he had to preach Jesus, that he had to go and tell other people about the Jesus that had changed his life and given him a new identity. And what we're going to discover specifically this morning for a few minutes is a couple things that took place early on in in Paul's life and in his ministry, specifically in Damascus and something that happened in Jerusalem, very similar. And what we see, first of all, in verses 19 through 25 is this. In Damascus, there was astonishment, conspiracy, and escape. In Damascus, there was astonishment, conspiracy, and escape. Look at verse number 21. The Bible says, But all that heard him were amazed. They were amazed. They were astonished at this individual because remember, this was the same individual that hated Christians, could not stand what they stood for. He was persecuting the church. He was going to Damascus with letters uh, from the high priest to take all of them back to Jerusalem and put them into jail and possibly even behead some of them. He was against them and now 
he's out there preaching Jesus. Who wouldn't be amazed? I mean, think about that in your mind. Think about someone that is, you know, uh, you know anti-God, anti-everything about Christianity, and all of a sudden one day they're preaching Jesus and talking about Jesus and promoting Jesus. It's not necessarily for their own promotion. You can see that there's something different about them. So people were amazed. They were astonished. It would be like some of our celebrities that are so anti-God, all of a sudden something happens and they're all of a sudden they're for God. They're for Christ. That's, that's kind of what is going on here. You know, again, I think by nature we are very skeptical creatures, right? Anybody skeptical? Uh, I'm very skeptical at times. And especially, you know, certain individuals, uh, you know, you just, you have these preconceived notions about people, right? Uh, whether right or wrong, and sometimes right, rightly so because of what they have done to you. And it's very hard to change those preconceived notions, right? It's very hard not to be skeptical, and, and for me, especially, I think I've shared this before, even uh, Wednesday nights and different things with, you know, talking about missionaries. There's, there's a part of me, you know, when I hear some of these missionary stories and letters that we have received from some of our missionaries, it's hard for my skepticism not to come out. Because I hear them talking about how hundreds and hundreds have been saved, and I'm like, there ain't no way. There's no way that hundreds have been saved. And then I'm like, wait, do I still believe in the God of the Bible? Do I still believe that God can save individuals? Maybe it doesn't happen like that so much here in America anymore, but it doesn't mean it can't happen like that over across the world, around the world. But again, maybe you're not like this, but sometimes my skepticism comes out with that. I'm like, there is no way that can happen. But then I'm like, wait, God says that it can happen in his word. And I'm sure the point I'm making is that I'm sure there was a lot of skepticism, and rightly so, as Saul the terrorist is now not trying to take people away and behead them and take them to jail, he's preaching Jesus to them like, oh, hang on a second. Is this a trick? I mean, honestly, who wouldn't think that? I mean, I, I think most of us would think that, right? Like, is this a trick? Is he trying to, to pull me in and then all of a sudden, I got you, boom, you're going to jail with me. Now, like, I, I'm not really sure what's going on. So there's a lot of skepticism. These people are on high alert because this is the same guy that sought to destroy followers of Jesus. And truth is, they had every right to be skeptical because of who he was. Now, that's important. Who he was, they had every right to be skeptical. But is he that person now? No. He's been changed. He has a new identity. He is not that same individual that's not who he is now. He was that person, but he's not that person anymore. Now, something again happened between the beginning of his mission to Damascus and his arrival to Damascus. Remember, he had letters from the high priest trying to go to Damascus to take individuals back to Jerusalem, but on the road to Damascus, he met the high priest. And I'm not talking about the one in Jerusalem. I'm talking about Jesus. He met the high priest that cannot be abdicated, which means, you know, most of the, uh, the high priests there in Jerusalem, eventually what was going to happen is their time was going to run out, they were going to die, and someone else was going to come on the scene. But Jesus cannot be abdicated from his throne, from his position. He is one that will never retire, never abdicate his office. And there, the, the, the term of the earthly high priest was limited, but the eternal high priest gave him new orders. He, 
changed his commission. He overruled the ones that were in Jerusalem, and he put them about on a new mission. Now everything is starting to make sense for Saul. Everything that he didn't understand about Jesus, about Christians, all of a sudden the light bulb has come on. All he knew was the Old Testament law. And now he knows of the resurrected Christ and everything has been put together. And surely his religious Jews, the, the ones that he had associated with, the ones that knew the law, you know, left and right and everything in between, surely they would understand his new position because now he's been saved. He's, he's got a new identity. So as he's sharing this, surely they're going to come on board with him. They're going to switch sides. But that didn't happen. <laughs> and a lot of times, and it's true even today, some of the most religious of people are the hardest. <clears throat> and sometimes some of the most religious of people are the most critical of us, of what we're doing. And that was no different in Paul's day. And honestly, sometimes the worst opposition comes from those that are the most religious, quote-unquote. And I've been met with that as a pastor, as a Christian. I've been met with people that claim, quote-unquote, they are religious individuals. But there was a lot of opposition from them. Because they didn't truly understand, I think, their relationship with Jesus. Now Saul is testifying of the goodness of the gospel. And soon this man's ministry began to frustrate Jews in Damascus because they couldn't counter his claims about Jesus. And really, this is reminiscent of Stephen. Remember the story of Stephen, where I think it was in Acts chapter 7, where he is preaching profoundly with the wisdom, and he is taking them back to the Old Testament, and he is showing them and explaining them the Old Testament, and they have no answer for him. The same is true with, with Saul. Saul is really the, the new Stephen. They have no answer. They are confounded, so they're just getting mad. They're getting frustrated at him. Verse number 22, let's continue on. But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt in Damascus, proving that this is very Christ, that this is the Christ. Verse 23, and after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. Now, again, the many days in here, it's very important to understand. Upon first glance, it's easy to think all of this happened right away. But that is not true when you study this out more in depth, when you study Acts and other passages as well and really early church history, you realize that the many days was actually a considerable amount of time. Turn to Galatians chapter 1. Quickly, Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, verse 15. Galatians 1, 15. So this is the same Saul turned into Paul, his name changed writing to the church of Galatia. He's kind of explaining some things that took place with him. Verse 15, he says, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with the flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them, which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia. So really, right after he got saved, God took him away to Arabia. And returned again unto Damascus. Verse 18 tells us how long these many days were. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 
15 days. So before he met the first apostle, he was gone, taken away for three years. So it's very important to understand that, that connotation in our minds. And again, he had, th- th- this time frame was for him to spend time with Jesus. And from, again, early church history says he was saved around AD 33, 34. And then when he started his first missionary journey, it was about AD 47, uh, 48. So 14 years roughly have passed from the moment he got saved to the moment he really took off on his journey for Jesus. But most likely, Paul went to Arabia to get alone with Jesus for some intense training. And while he was there, I'm sure he was still preaching Jesus. And there were many things that Saul had to learn to clarify in his mind so that he could truly effectively minister the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when he returned to Damascus, he was a marked man because I'm sure he had been preaching Jesus and he had been talking about Jesus. So when he came back, he is a marked man. And he began to witness to the Jews and the Jews wanted nothing better but to silence him. Verse number 23, and after many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to wipe this guy off the face of the planet because they didn't like now what he had become. And here's an important question for us. Are you ready for this in the Christian life? Are you ready to be criticized, belittled, to have your motives questioned? And when it happens, will you stay faithful? Will you keep preaching Jesus? It's a very important question that we must ask ourselves. And many individuals throughout the history of the church when faced with situations like that, have remained faithful. But then there's also the side where when faced with situations like that, with criticism, belittlement, they separated themselves. They forsook God. They stopped living out their faith. Stopped living on mission for Jesus. You see, the Lord saved Saul for a greater purpose. He wasn't finished with him. Even though people were wanting to kill him, God wasn't finished. And it's very important to understand that, that God's purpose, God's plan, supersedes anything that man has. Verse 24, but their laying away was known of Saul. Saul heard what was going to happen. And they watched the gates day and night to kill him. So they were just waiting for him. You know, if he comes into the city or out of the city, we've got him. We are going to kill this man. We, we've got it. So then what we discover is this, you know, amazing Indiana Jones slash Mission Impossible type movie. What happens here, verse number 25, then the disciples took him by night and let him down by the wall in a basket. So again, the, 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 the cities were much different than they are today. A lot of them had walls surrounding the city. So they're literally putting Saul inside of a basket. And I was going to demonstrate it today, but we don't really have a big enough wall to do it. And uh, I would have to do it with a little kid because I don't think I could pick up some of you guys. But anyway, uh, imagine, you know, imagine that. I mean, all of a sudden they're letting down a, a basket in the wall and they're probably like, I wonder what that is. Maybe it's just clothes or whatever. Hopefully the basket wasn't moving around or whatever. But, you know, he's being led over the side of the city walls down in a basket and he's able to escape. He's able to escape Damascus because God was not finished with him. And really, what we learn here, what what Paul went through, is that, again, he had been activated by the gospel. 
Now, the gospel activates us with grace, but it also strengthens us. It gives us what we need. I'm going to talk more about that in EQ a little bit later. But again, the, the testimony of Saul that he has here, it's recorded for us later in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 because he goes more in depth of some of the things that he went through. And the testimony, it reminds me that even though people are out there to try to thwart the gospel, to try to stop the gospel, God's purposes will always be fulfilled. And as you read through the book of Acts, especially, you see the opposition and, 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 and persecution increase until that, that day when the apostle was uh, a prisoner in Rome. But he counted it a privilege to suffer for Jesus, to suffer for Christ's sake. And really, so should we. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3, Yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And here's the truth. In the midst of trials, remember that there is only one sovereign Lord. And we need to live in confident trust in Him, that He is sovereign, that He is in control of all things. So in Damascus, what we saw is that there is uh, astonishment. People are amazed. Then there's conspiracy there, trying to kill Him. But then He escapes because of Jesus. We move on, verse 26 to 30. We see basically the same thing. Now he's in Jerusalem. Remember, three years have passed since his conversion. And really the same thing is taking place here. Now it's suspicion, conspiracy, and escape. So very similar to what happened here in Damascus is now happening in Jerusalem. Look at verse number 26. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed, which means he tried his hardest to join himself to the disciples. But they were all afraid of him. And again, rightly so. Now, he had been gone for three years in Arabia, and, and they didn't know what he was doing there. For all they knew, he was out disappearing and trying to conspire against them. So I'm sure there's, again, more skepticism. Even though they have heard of some things like, I don't know, I mean, because of who he was, can anyone really change that drastically? Can anyone truly change that much? Now, we believe, or I hope you do, I hope you believe in the power of the gospel. I hope you believe that the gospel can change and transform any individual, and that's what we believe here at this church, that it's our desire to, to, to show people the radical power of the gospel, to, to allow the radical power of the gospel to change and transform individual lives. But as he returns or as he comes back to Jerusalem, they're afraid of him. The disciples, the apostles, they're afraid of him. He is trying his hardest to join with them, to fellowship with them, but they want nothing to do with them because they know who he was. They're not looking past that. They can't see who he has become. Verse number 27, this is very important, and a lot can be said on this, but we don't have time today to dive into this. But Barnabas took him. So there was one that saw, you know what? This individual has changed. He is not the same man that he once was. And again, I wish I had more time to develop this thought, but we need Barnabases in our church. We need Barnabases in Christianity. Barnabas is known as a, an encourager. Barnabas saw that the fact that Paul was changed, he was different, and he joined himself with him and said, hey, come with me. I'll get you in the connection of the disciples and with the apostles. Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way. Look, we need people that are going to uh, 
hold us up, but also uh, talk good about us in, in, in the way that Barnabas did. And that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Hey, I've witnessed these things. I have seen what Saul has done. He's not the same man anymore. He's not who he once was. And that's important. Barnabas is advocating for Saul. He was willing to embrace the work of grace that God was doing in Saul's life. He was willing to put his own reputation on the line because he saw something different in that individual. And twice in this passage, Luke tells us that Saul preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Now remember, Saul, before he got saved, was a zealous individual. But ministry involves much weakness, much fear, much trembling. And really, when you study Paul's letters, you see that he struggled with that. He talked about how he was afraid a lot of times, that he was trembling in fear. And there were many times where he asked the churches to pray for him that he might preach the gospel with boldness. You see, with this boldness for the gospel, the Jews then again conspired to kill him. Verse number 28, And he was with them coming in and going out of Jerusalem, and he spake boldly in the name of Jesus, and disputed against the Grecians, the, um, the ones there at that day. We'll, we'll talk about that later. But they went about to slay him. They wanted to kill him there. Which when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. That's where he's actually originally from. So the brethren, the disciples, they finally, because of Barnabas, because of the work that he did, okay, they, they believe this guy. Okay, we have to protect this individual. He is preaching Jesus, so we have to try to help him escape yet again. And what we'll discover is we don't actually meet Saul again until Acts chapter 11. So they sent him away to his hometown of Tarsus. So again, Damascus, conspiracy, astonishment, escape. Same thing, Jerusalem, suspicion, <laughs> conspiracy, escape. We move on to verse 31. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified, they were encouraged, they were strengthened. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. Now this is very important because back in Acts chapter number 8, I think verse number 1, Saul before he was saved, he was consenting unto his death. And, and at that time, there was great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. There was a lot of persecution. There was a lot of extreme pressure. So you think about what is going on in Acts chapter 9, verse 31. How could things be going so well for the Christ followers when external circumstances were so bad? You know, what we learn in this verse and the verses to come is that the church was strengthened and multiplied, which is an amazing thing. You see, because of persecution, the church grew. The church multiplied. Persecution brought them closer to Christ because they relied upon one another. But now I want to I try to wrap it all up this morning and, and tie it all up and, and give us an application that's going to hopefully help us understand even more. You see, last week we talked about Saul's epic transformation. And the important thing that stands out to me is the fact that who he was had no bearings on who he would become. I'm going to say that again because it's important. 
Who he was had no bearings on who he would become. Who he was was a terrorist. He was an individual who hated the gospel, who hated Christians. But once he met Christ, that's not who he was anymore. He was different. He was a new creature. And Saul's life gives pattern for us of what it means to be a faithful witness of Jesus. A faithful witness of Jesus. Now listen to me. Suffering is one of the tools that God uses in training his people. Suffering doesn't mean something is wrong. Suffering really means that God is preparing us. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to skip over a part of your notes for now. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Again, this is one of Paul's epistles, verse number 7. The Bible says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Now, the word vessel here is the same connotation that was given in Acts chapter 9, verse number 15, where it talks about, He is a chosen vessel unto me. Let me continue on. Verse number 8, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, yet not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that his life also and Jesus might be made manifest Excuse me, to our mortal flesh. So the death worketh in us, but life in you. Now, going back to that word vessel in verse number seven, as well as Acts chapter number nine, vessels on their own have no power, have no worth. They are merely conduits of the power of something else, they hold something of value. So the vessel in and of itself was not necessarily valuable. It was what was put inside of the vessel that made it more valuable. And God was telling Saul, and he was telling really us and the Christians there, that Saul is a chosen vessel. I am going to pour into him. I am putting my spirit within him. You see, up until his conversion, Paul had seen himself as a capable tool or instrument for God. God wanted Paul, though, to become a vessel of his power and not Paul's power. See, Paul the, or Saul the mighty needed to become Paul the small. So God took time to humble him. And when, when you read his letters, excuse me for a minute. <coughs> when you read his letters, you see over and over again that Saul had to suffer. He had to go through intense persecution. God had to humble him. This man of zeal had to be humbled. A.W. Tozer, I love a lot of his writings, he says this, It is doubtful whether God can truly bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. Now, no one wants to be hurt deeply in here. But it's true, I've seen it in my own life, that sometimes God has to, so to speak, break us so that he can mold us into the person he wants us to be, into the the vessel that he would have us to be. 
I've heard it said also that if dependence is the objective, then weakness is your advantage. You see, weakness is how we learn to operate in the power of God. And suffering helps us get in touch with our weakness. Suffering is where God purifies our heart. It's where God strips us of our idols. And God told Ananias back in Acts 9, 15, he is a chosen vessel of mine. And the reality is that if you are in Christ, you are a chosen vessel of God's. Look, God did not save you for yourself. He saved you for himself. He saved you for his purposes. And listen to this. With the privilege of receiving salvation comes the responsibility of being a gospel vessel that shares the amazing news with the broken world. You see, if you're a Christian today, you are a chosen vessel in the hands of God. A chosen vessel in the hands of God to be used for mission and on mission. Listen, a vessel in the hands of anyone else is dangerous, but a vessel in the hands of the Creator is limitless and unstoppable. And that's what we discover of ourselves. If you are saved today, you have been activated, and you need to understand that you are a chosen vessel of God to share the gospel, to proclaim the gospel. Listen, what God is doing in you is just as significant as what he is doing through you. God is trying to work in your life to help grow you, to help equip you, to pour into you so you can be this vessel of honor, this conduit that is helping the world. And what we'll discover in Paul's life is that Paul didn't run from suffering. In fact, he embraced it. You see, Paul was enabled by the gospel and the power of Jesus. And it really reminds me of the story of Peter when he walked on the water. Many of us might know that story. We might understand that story. You know, for Peter, it was like, hey, Jesus, hey, can you calm the storm? Jesus was like, hey, Peter, why don't you walk with me in the storm? And that's where it is. We need to understand that we can walk in the storm if Jesus is there. But if Jesus isn't there, the storm is going to be too great. But if Jesus is by our side, no storm is too great. No difficulty is too great. You see, Paul didn't allow his enemies to sidetrack him for his purpose. He didn't try to defeat his enemies. Sometimes we get it all wrong. We have enemies of, of ourselves or of the church, so we try to defeat them instead of just keep preaching the gospel, instead of keep doing what God has called us to do. We get so sidetracked by people that are against God's will, against God's plan, that we get off mission and we stop living in an activated lifestyle. Now, let me come back to the orange. What can you do with an orange? Somebody, somebody tell me, what can you do with the orange? You can throw it, yeah, you can throw it, yeah. <laughs> throw it on there. You can juggle it, yeah. Juggle one. Make orange juice, what else? Peel it. Peel it? What else? Eat it. What? Use it for a more pleasant smell in the house. He's got a bunch of oranges around the house. Is that, is that what you get? Anybody else, what can you do with an orange? Make orange chicken, man. Making me hungry. It's almost lunchtime. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's full of orange, see? It's, no, give me an orange. Oh, I got another one in my office. I'll give it. Very good. Yes, there you go. As seeds, you can make more oranges. And that's, that's, that's really what I want to get to this morning. You see, here's the reality. If I did nothing with this orange... If I left it sitting here for the next couple weeks, 
What do you think is going to happen to it? Unless Ryan gets a hold of it. What do you think is going to happen to it if no one touches this horn for the next couple weeks? It's going to rot. It's going to be nasty. It's really going to make this place smell. Now think about that. An orange was not designed to be left alone. Because if it's left alone for long enough, it is going to rot, correct? It's going to rot. But, but amazing things happen when you cut an orange open. You discover the sweetness that's inside of it. You have to peel it back. You have to break it in order to understand what's inside of it. And as you do that, and Daniel even just said it, the fact that there are seeds within an orange, and even those that you get at the grocery store, there are seeds within an orange that you can plant. And through cultivation, through proper technique, what would happen? You could get orange trees or orange plants. Now, I've read that it could take up to a decade to produce fruit. Ten years to produce fruit. You see, sometimes we get so agitated that we're not growing as fast as other people. But it takes time for God to cultivate us. It takes time for God to grow us. Really, from the time that Saul was saved to the time he went on his first journey, 14 years of God cultivating him. And the point I want to make with this orange and this illustration here this morning is this, that here are many of us, we are this orange. Meaning there is phenomenal potential inside of us. But I get so frustrated because many people are content to do that. Sit there. And again, what's going to happen over time is they're going to rot. They're going to become the Christians that everyone can't stand (laughs) because they're going to be bitter. They're going to be critical. They're going to be judgmental of everything. They're not going to be doing what God has called them to do, what God designed them to do, God didn't design the orange to sit. He designed the orange to be enjoyed. There's a lot of things that you can do with an orange, but I mean, one of my favorite things is to eat it. Not necessarily to throw it at people, but to eat it. Or to make orange juice and and to drink the sweetness of it. But again, you'll never know until you open it up. And again, the, the, the seed principle, understanding that there are seeds within this that need to be spread that need to be planted. And that's what God wants us to do. So imagine yourself as the orange today. Has God designed you to sit, to rot away? No. He has designed you to open up, to to be broken, so that you can then share with others the goodness that is inside of you. That's what God wants us to do, to share the, the goodness, the sweetness that is inside of us with the world, because what's the truth is, we have been activated. And if you have been activated, you are not called to sit. You are not called to rot away. You are called to go and make other oranges. You are called to go and take the seeds that God has planted inside of you and sow them in the world that desperately needs to hear it. Look, once this has been activated, All the possibilities come out. 
So many possibilities. Endless possibilities, really, when you think about it, of what you could do once the orange has been activated, once the orange has been cut, once the orange has been peeled back, once it's been opened. And listen, Paul was not content to sit and rot. He realized something that God has shown me, and I'm praying hard, he shows you, that you were designed to be open. You were designed to, to be ripped apart so that you can share the sweetness that's inside of you. And sometimes for us, probably not so much for the orange, but that ripping apart is painful, isn't it? It's very painful. Look, I've shared my story with many of you, and we'll continue to share it, but my story is painful. It's painful to go through situations. Now, Michael mentioned a couple years ago when I got meningitis, that, that was not a fun situation. But the Lord helped me realize that I needed that pain, that discomfort, to make me more like him, to cultivate me. So in a sense, he had to peel back a layer. All right, well, still haven't got there yet, so let's peel back another layer. Let's peel back another layer. Let's peel back another layer. And that's what he has to do with us. And for some of us, it's like we have so many layers because we have hardened ourselves so much. So God has to keep peeling back, keep peeling back, keep peeling back, keep peeling back, because he's trying to make us into what he wants us to be. You see, Saul's life was changed on the day he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And it started within him a journey towards understanding who he was in Christ and replacing who he was before Christ. Again, I've been preaching identity for two years. Some people still can't get it. They still can't fathom it. They still can't comprehend it. That who you were is not who you are. I mean, that's as simple as I can put it. Who you were is not who you are if you're saved. So live in light of your new identity and not your old identity. But again, we tie ourselves up. Well, that's who I am. I mean, imagine if, if Saul, Paul, if he said, you know what? I was just a horrible individual. I'm nothing. I can't do anything for God. So I'm not going to do anything for God. Imagine if he had that attitude. Now, God easily probably could have used and would have used someone else, but we wouldn't have had the blessing of knowing the life of Paul that we had. He wrote more than half of the New Testament. I mean, one of the greatest Christians in the history of the world. God broke him deeply so that he can use him greatly. But he was willing not to sit and rot like so many Christians are willing to do. Hey, I'm a good rotter. <laughs> Well, good. Good for you. <laughs> he was willing to be cut up. Because once he was cut up, he realized what was inside of him. See, what's inside of you is greater than what's outside of you. It's greater than the circumstances. As a Christian, you have Jesus in your heart. If you're saved, you have Jesus in your heart. So what's inside of you is greater than anything that is outside of you anything that is in the world. And here's the key truth. Who you were before Christ has no bearings on you, has no bearings on who you are after Christ. You see, on our journey towards Jesus, he wants to make all things new. And that means you. And what we discover and what I've discovered and, and what the Lord is showing me and sh has showed me, shown me in, in the fact that with, with Saul's life especially, 
How can an individual as horrible, as wicked as that be transformed? Only by the power of the gospel. And again, it's very easy to be skeptical. It's very easy to like, well, there ain't no way God can save that individual. Well, he shouldn't have saved you if you're saved. And that's what we have to remind ourselves of, that we are nothing without Christ, but now with Christ, we are this orange with limitless possibilities. But we have to allow ourselves to be peeled back, to be broken. And allow what's inside of us, the seeds, to spread. You think about it, even with that, I mean, there's so many applications we can make. You think about spreading seeds and, and trying to disciple other people, because that's, that's what God has called us to do, right? He has called us to disciple other people, but I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. How many have actually ever truly discipled someone? Most of us would probably have to say no, because discipleship, it's a journey. It's a hard journey. It's a difficult journey of cultivating a relationship with someone, and it takes time. It's more than just, well, we met a couple times for a Bible study, so yeah, they're good. No. <laughs> Jesus spent three and a half years with his disciples to train them, to help them be better. Really, Jesus spent 14 years with Saul to train him to make him who he was supposed to be. Discipleship is hard. It's difficult. Look, I've discipled individuals that are no longer in church. I've discipled some that are, and they're as strong as ever. I know the same is true with my dad. I know he's done personal discipleships that have taken 12 to 18 months, and he's got some men that are strong as ever, and some men that are like, man, forget this. It's tough. But it's worth it because it's what God wants us to do. And again, what we talked about with the seed, it takes maybe up to 10 years for this seed to produce anything. 10 years is a long time. And the reality is most of us aren't willing to wait. Because we want to see things right now. And if we don't see things right now, obviously, well, God's not doing anything, so I'm done. I'm out. I'm going to go back to rotting. And look, our churches are full of rotting oranges. And I'm not trying to be mean, but when I first came here, this church was full of rotting oranges. This church was full of people that were content with being an orange and just sitting and doing nothing but complaining and criticizing and judging every little thing that we tried to do. And it's very easy to become that, isn't it? It's very easy to become a rotting orange because you associate yourself with other rotting oranges, so you're going to become one of those. But sometimes you have to do the difficult thing and break free and realize that that's not who Jesus called me to be. He didn't call me to rot. He activated me, and he wants to use me. So you think about it. I don't have the other one cut up. I meant to, but what are you? Are you the orange that's going to rot over time? Or are you the orange that's cut up with these limitless possibilities that is willing to take a difficult journey to cultivate, to share with other people what God has given you? And that's why I preach. That's why I teach. That's why I have EQ time, to try to equip, to give you what you need to give to others. Who you are before Christ has no bearings on who you are after Christ. You have been activated, which means you're supposed to go out and live an active Christian lifestyle the way that God designed you to live.